know about you guys, but we are breaking a sweat up here. So you guys go ahead and get moving too. <laughs> we are welcome here at the Houghton Wesleyan Church. Please join us as we continue in worship together.
Father, how you love us. We know that you love us. We read in your word that you love us. And then there are times when you fill our souls and our spirits with the certainty that you love us. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to put aside those things that keep us from knowing your love. Heal us from those things in our lives that make us feel unworthy. Those things that are beyond our control and those choices that we make. 
We pray that you would cleanse us of all our sin, that we might be whole and move forward in the power of your love to serve you. We ask these things in your name. Amen. You may be seated. We have an opportunity now to give back to God just a little of what he has given to us as we take the offering.
The scripture reading today comes from Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20. Please stand for the reading of the gospel. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus has told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am always... I am with you always, to the very end of the age. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to God. Before you're seated, uh, take a moment, uh, maybe say hello to someone near you. Introduce yourself to someone you don't know as we uh, take a moment to share the peace of Christ. So there is a, uh, there are a plethora of announcements in your bulletin, and uh, we hope you take a minute to look at those. One of the things that um, I'm convinced is huge in our spiritual walk with Christ is involvement, doing things for other people. And whether you live here year-round, you're an academy student, a college student, uh, you have some other connection to uh, the area or here, whatever your circumstance may be. We would love for you to be involved in something that's happening in the church or what the church is doing uh, to help others. And there is a whole list of things that you can do to get involved. Uh, One of the inserts just has, I'd like to be, I'm interested in music or being a greeter or children's ministry or youth. There's a whole number of things there. And you can, there's a box in the back. uh, At any time, you can go on the church website and contact us and we'll get you connected but we, we really would love for you, whatever your circumstance, to be involved in ministry, to give something away as we all are taking in. So we hope you'll take that seriously. There's also a bookmark in your bulletin uh, that says The Church. And uh, this is the new sermon series that we're we'll starting next week. Uh, we also are small groups and uh, youth group is going to be doing this as well, follow up to the, to the Sunday gatherings. And we're just going to be thinking about what does it mean to be the church. And uh, we are the church that's living between what we are and what we're intended to be. And in that tension that, uh, where we've been placed in this world. And so we're going to walk through some of the book of Acts as we talk about this. But if you're thinking to yourself, you know, I, I don't know exactly what the church is supposed to be. I don't know what the church is intended to be. We want to talk about some of those things and hopefully help all of us to be more a part of what God intends for His church. And that will begin next week. This is, uh, we're also uh, pleased to announce that uh, Willow Eileen Knapp was born to Eli and Linda this week on Friday. And we're excited for them and we celebrate with them at the, the birth and the gift of new life. This is also the beginning of Christian Life Emphasis Week. If you are new to Houghton, this is something that's been going on for a long, long time. Uh, At the beginning of the college semester each year, there is a uh, time set aside for special thought, interest, emphasis about uh, our spiritual lives. And of course, that's important all year round, but a little bit intense time at the beginning. Uh, It begins today, and we'll be meeting tonight in Wesley Chapel at 7, tomorrow morning, Tuesday morning, Wednesday morning during chapel time. And uh, Monday night, Tuesday night. There are meeting at different places, some different things happening. Um, 7 o'clock tomorrow night, we're meeting at, at the coffee place, Java, in the basement of the campus center. And we're giving out dollar coupons for coffee. And we just love to have you be a part of it. Dr. Mao is going to be doing a little question and answer thing with Dean Jordan from uh, the chapel. And just talking about the civility, especially in our world of politics and the incivility of so much of what goes on. We are really thrilled to have Richard Mao as our speaker throughout all of this Christian Life Emphasis Week. 
and we're happy to have him here. I know a few years ago, uh, I've, been, I've been reading some of his stuff through the years, but a few years ago, someone told me about the book Uncommon Decency. It is one of the best books I've read. It just resonated with my heart about how the church interacts with each other and how we interact with other people. And um, I have been interested in many things that he's done, and we're happy to have him here. And he's going to come now and share with us this morning. Great to be with you to uh, return to my alma mater, Houghton College, but also to this congregation. I, uh, I married a Houghton native, uh, Phyllis Gilbert, and her family were longtime members of uh, this congregation. I've worshipped here many times and have wonderful memories of uh, what God has done in my life through the ministry of this congregation And it's just great to be with you this morning. I'm recovering from a chest cold, so you'll have to put up probably with a little bit of coughing uh, along the way. But we will, by God's uh, grace and strength, uh, make it through. And it's a great privilege to reflect on God's Word with you this morning. Especially that passage that was read to us from Matthew time that Jesus came to his disciples as the resurrected Lord. And he said to them this amazing thing, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given unto me. What an amazing claim. Phyllis and I were in a bookstore a couple years ago, one of these chain stores, and I went over to the uh, religion section, and those of you who have been in one of those chains, borders, or Barnes and Nobles, you know what the religion section looks like. It's a fairly good-sized set of shelves, and there'll be one that will say Asian religions, or one will say Islam, and they'll have Christian fiction and Christian history and devotionals, Bibles. Then in this one, at the bottom, was an especially high shelf, and the label said, oversized religion. I thought, I can get a sermon out of that sometime, and I haven't worked up a whole sermon on it, but uh, what an oversized religion we have when we have a Savior who can say this, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given unto me. An amazing claim. Actually, our Lord on that occasion was giving two-thirds of a, a description that we find several other places in the scriptures. Uh, Philippians 2, for example, it says that uh, Jesus came, emptied himself, went to the cross, was raised up, has ascended to heaven. Then it says that, uh, that he's been given a name that is above every name, so that every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Three levels of authority in the universe. And those three levels were generally acknowledged even beyond the Christian world as the kind of uh, the levels of authority in the universe. The people believed, uh, we believe in angels, uh, angelic type beings who were in the, the heavenly regions and who as powers and principalities, invisible authorities had some kind of direct influence on the way things went in the world. Those are the powers in heaven. And on the earth were the visible authorities. We know their names. In ancient times, it was the emperor, the empress, the king or queen. And in those times, the emperor, for example, was the ruler over all areas of life. He was not only the political leader, he was the, the ruler over the military, over the games. He presided over the, the kinship system, over religious observances, economic life. He was the, the one embodiment of all the cultural authority. And of course, today we have a lot of different authorities in a lot of different areas of of culture, not just political, but economic and entertainment, 
athletics and military and uh, many other areas of life. <coughs> and then under the earth were the, was the realm of departed spirits. The, uh, the spooky stuff, you know, uh, ghosts, and demons. And they too were viewed as having some kind of influence in, in our lives. There's a, a very graphic uh, description of Christ's authority over all of these areas of authority. In the book of Revelation chapter 5, where they found this scroll. And if you know what's in the scroll, you know how it's all going to end up. You know that there's a real plot and that there will be a happy ending. <laughs> but if you don't know what's in the scroll, you're in big trouble. Because for all you know, it's meaningless. It's just a bunch of chaos. And in the end, it'll just sort of stop <clears throat> with no ending, with no resolution. And so they've discovered this scroll, but it's sealed with seven seals. And the word goes forth as John is getting a vision in the heavenly realm. The word goes forth. Who is worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals? And they send out a search committee. And the search committee comes back and says, we haven't found anyone. Then they put it this way. No one in heaven and on earth or under the earth was able to take the scroll to open its seal. None of the angels could open the scroll. Michael, the archangel, Gabriel, none of the cherubim, none of the seraphim. That angel Moroni, who stands on top of every Mormon temple, he could not take the scroll to open its seals. Then they searched the visible authorities on the earth. For us, we'd have to say, Mr. Obama could not open the scroll. But neither could Donald Trump. (laughs) The editors of the Wall Street Journal could not open the scroll. No football coach at any university or any NFL team could open the scroll. And try as he might, Justin Bieber could not take the scroll (laughs) and to open his seal. No one on the earth. Then they looked under the earth. None of the walking dead could take the scroll and open its seals. No zombie, no vampire, no ghost. And when John heard that report, there is no one in heaven and on earth or under the earth who was able to take the scroll to open its seal. He says, I wept because the scroll cannot be opened. And then suddenly there's this announcement. (coughs) We found somebody. The lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of Jesse, he is able to take the scroll and to open its seals. And when John looked, it's really the lamb. And when the lamb of God, Jesus Christ, appears as the one who can open the scroll, the courts of heaven break out into this wonderful hymn. You are worthy, O Lord, to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed men and women for God from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. And you have made us a kingdom and priests unto our God, and we shall reign on the earth. Jesus Christ, Jesus alone, is worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals. And that hymn in Revelation 5. It says that he is worthy to take the scroll and to open its seal because he was slain. Because he shed his blood on Calvary. And that points to an interesting and somewhat mysterious part of this thing that Jesus says to his disciples in Matthew 28. (laughs) He says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given unto me. What do you mean given unto me? You had it all along. You're the eternal word made flesh by whom and through whom and for whom all things have been made. What do you mean it's been given unto you? But the Apostle Paul makes the same point in Philippians 2. That because he died, he went to the cross, he was raised up, and now has ascended. He has been given a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and every tongue should confess. 
He did have it all along. He's the eternal second person of the Trinity, the Son of God, by whom and through whom and for whom all things were made. But Satan challenged that authority. Satan tried to wrestle it away from him. In order to guarantee the defeat of Satan, Jesus went to the cross because he so loved the world. God so loved the world that he gave his son not to condemn the world, but that the world, the cosmos, through him might be saved. And Jesus, by shedding his blood on Calvary, not only saved us, but he he rescued the, the creation from the ruler of darkness. And now he can come to his disciples, and I believe he's holding out his nail-pierced hands, and he's saying, you see, all authority in heaven and earth has been given unto me because of what happened on the cross of Calvary. It has been given unto him. (laughs) Well, what does that mean for us in our daily lives, especially as we think about it on this Labor Day weekend? What does it mean for us to come to church and to worship as we did in song and in prayer, praise, hearing the word of God, hearing the word proclaimed? What does it mean for us to go forth from this place, having been in this worship space where we acknowledge that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given unto Jesus. Well, for one thing, we've got to go forth acknowledging it. We've got to be aware of it. I wrote a book a couple years ago called Praying at Burger King. I, uh, I got the idea for that. I was at a convention, and a friend of mine went off, wanted to get away from the crowd, so went off to a local Burger King at noon. It was a busy, crowded Burger King, a lot of little kids running around, smell of French fries in the air, a little hard to get a table. We went up and we ordered, and we each got a Whopper with cheese and uh, fries, and then ordered and not feel too guilty, we got Diet Cokes. <clears throat> went back to the table, a lot of little kids running around, a lot of noise, <clears throat> but we bowed our heads and prayed silently. When we were done praying, we started to eat our uh, Whoppers. The, my friend said to me, you ever think how weird, weird it is to pray at Burger King? I mean, it's kind of hard to get in a, a mood, a spiritual mood to pray at Burger King. And I thought a lot about that. Now, that, you, you don't really have to get in a mood to pray at Burger King. You know, suppose you're in a mall and you're shopping and you're walking along and and the crowded people coming toward you, you see somebody, somewhat in the distance yet, who's coming toward you, and you haven't seen her for about six months. You really like her. You don't say to yourself, you know, I, I, I want to greet her and tell her I'm happy to see her again, but I better go off just to a quiet place and reflect on her for a while and get in the right kind of mood, maybe think about things that we've done together so that when I say to her, hey, it's really good to see you, I'm really being sincere. You don't have time for that because she's there. We don't always have time to get in the mood. But Jesus is there. Jesus rules over Burger King, over that subway, over the other restaurant in town. (laughs) Jesus rules over the stadium. Jesus rules over the classroom. Jesus rules over the bedroom, the kitchen. Jesus rules over the workspaces, over the highways. And it's so important for us on occasion just to stop and say, I'm not quite in the mood where I'm not sure I'm saying this sincerely, but Lord Jesus Christ, I want to acknowledge the fact that you're here and that the people around me in this Burger King, in this stadium, in this theater, in this workplace, in, in this home, may not be aware of it in the way that I am, at least in my best moments spiritually, but I want to acknowledge that all authority in heaven and earth, including the authority of this place in which I find myself right now, belongs to you. Acknowledge it and claim it for his authority. 
good friend of mine, an African-American pastor, uh, took a new church in a ghetto in a city. Saw him after two weeks. I said, how's your ministry going? He said, it's going great. He said, I haven't really met most of the people in the congregation yet. I haven't preached. I haven't led worship. But what I've been doing is walking around the ghetto, claiming the territory for Jesus. And we can do that. It isn't always clear how we're supposed to claim his lordship in our work, in our family relations, in our studies, in our entertainment. It isn't always clear, but at the very least, we can claim the territory for Jesus, saying, I'm on your turf here, Lord Jesus. I'm under your authority. Acknowledge it and claim it for his authority. And then struggle with what it means, what it means for our identity, for example. I'll say a little more about this later on uh, this week in, in uh, one of my talks in the, at, on the campus. But uh, a couple years ago, several years ago, I went to North Korea. I went with Don Chang. Don Chang, those of you who are teenagers or no teenagers, uh, Don Chang was the founder and owner, is the founder and owner of Forever 21, a clothing store. And he's got stores all over the world. And a wonderful South Korean background, American citizen, uh, wonderful Christian leader, very wealthy, with a concern for the whole Korean uh, peninsula. (coughs) And uh, he heard that Five villages in the northernmost part of North Korea have been devastated by landslides and floods. And that little children were dying every day in these villages. And he arranged with the North Korean government that he would give 5,000 tons of food, 4,000 tons of food to these villages. But under two conditions. One is that every bag of flour, every bag of corn, every drum of oil had to have a blue cross. He didn't want them to think it came for the red cross. He had to have a blue cross, and it had to say in Korean, love your neighbor as yourself. And the second condition was that he had to go to to see that it was being properly distributed. And so we flew to Pyongyang, took our passports away, took my cell phone away. We were there for about five days. They drove us uh, 10 hours north of uh, Pyongyang, up to the very border with China. You could see China across the river. We went to these villages. We were greeted by uh, mothers and their children, children who had survived because this food had come. They, they hugged us. They danced for us. They sang with us. It was a, a wonderful experience. And I had a real sense of seeing a different side of North Korea. I have no defense of the North Korean government. I'm so glad that we prayed I had a prayer request for North Korea this morning, horrible things that are happening there to so many people. But on Sunday, when we were back in Pyongyang, we went to church. They actually have four legal, four or five legally sanctioned service, uh, worship services in North Korea. We went to an old uh, Presbyterian church built by Presbyterian uh, missionaries back in the early uh, 19th, uh, 20th century. And it was a genuine worship service, uh, and we're, there were diplomats from China, uh, from uh, Canada and uh, Germany who told us they worshiped there every week, so we weren't just uh, seeing something or putting on a show for us. As we walked into that crowded little church, there was uh, the choir in robes, was singing, Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe, sin had left a crimson stain, and he washed it white as snow. Later on in the service, we sang together, what a friend we have in Jesus. And I've got to say, that transformed my my picture of North Korea. Uh, Again, I I have very angry feelings about the government and the like. But I can never hear North Korea mentioned again without acknowledging the fact that I have family there. I have brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ brothers and sisters who talk about having a friend in Jesus, brothers and sisters in Christ who know that he was slain and by his blood he's ransomed men and women for God from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. And it's so important for us as we come to church here to acknowledge that on every continent 
in almost every nation and tribe. We have brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. And what gives us our true identity that we learn here is that ultimately what defines me is not American blood or my Dutch ethnic blood or being a so-called red-blooded American male. What, what defines me is the blood of Jesus Christ who is putting together a new kind of community drawn from every tribe and tongue and people and nation of the earth. And we claim that identity and it's got to shape and form the ways in which we watch the news, the ways in which we pray, the ways in which we show concern for what's going on in the world and including in the streets of our own cities and and our own towns. It has to make a difference, that new identity that we have in Jesus Christ. And it gives us hope. The authority of Jesus Christ. Hope for the future because, and I hope you can hear this word this morning, at the very end of what he says to the disciples, he says, and I am with you always, even unto the end of the age. And he's here with us today. And he will be with us. And he will be with us when he makes all things new. But I've been traveling a lot and writing a lot and doing a lot of speaking. Uh, sometimes I like to get on a plane and just read a novel. I was an English major at Houghton College, and I hate to confess this, but every once in a while I read a not very good novel. I like the kind of uh, thriller-type novels, uh, Robert Ludlum, Tom Clancy, David Baldacci. You know how they go, many of you. There are 450 pages in the novel. And I'm halfway through, 225, page 225. And you really get into it. I mean, it's not a great novel, but you, you really get into the story, huh? And on page 225, it goes like this. Uh, the hero, the house is surrounded and he doesn't look like he's going to get out alive. And the woman he loves is being held captive someplace. And I'm into the plot, you know, and I'm, uh, here's what I do. I go to the end. I go to the last page. I don't read it very carefully. I kind of skim it over. All I want to do is find out two things. One is he's still alive at the end. And the other is that the two of them are back together. Then I can go back to to BH 225. And I can slowly and painfully make my way through the plot. I still don't know how they're going to get there. But I can go through it with confidence because I've seen the last page. And I have good news for you this morning. We've seen the last page. This is what it says on the last page. That he will be with us even unto the end of the age. And when the end of the age comes, Jesus is going to come again. And every eye will see him and every knee should bow and every tongue should confess in heaven and on earth and under the earth that he is Lord. And he's going to proclaim over the whole universe, behold, I make all things new. And when he does that, he's going to wipe away every tear. When he does that, there's not going to be any more cancer, any more heart attacks, any more HIV AIDS, not going to be any more divorce, no more broken families, no more drive-by shootings, no more terrorist acts, no more little kids just pleading to be allowed into countries that they've fled to because they've been persecuted in their home countries. Jesus is going to come again. And in the meantime, we go, we're on page 225, and I don't have all the answers. I don't know how it's going to work out, but it will be well in the end, because we've seen the last page. Lord Jesus Christ, we praise you that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given unto you, and we praise you that you have promised to be with us here in this place And that we can go forth from this place, serving you, knowing that you will be with us even unto the end of the age. And it's in your powerful name that I pray. Amen. As we think about God's word to us, uh, we're going to take a few moments to pray together. There are burdens that we bring. There are burdens that are part of the larger world. 
There are things related to uh, people we know and people we don't. And when we come together to pray, sometimes the posture of our praying can uh, express what's in our hearts. Sometimes it just feels right to stand when we pray. Sometimes uh, to sit. Sometimes to kneel. Sometimes to lay prostrate. This morning as we pray together, I want to invite you to pray as you feel led to pray. And you may want to stand in your seat. You may want to turn around and kneel at your seat. Uh, We have a practice of the altar rail being open. If you want to come up here and you want to kneel with me as we pray, uh, let's pray together and uh, bring to God gratitude for what he's done for us in Christ as we just heard and ask him to to be at work in the burdens and the needs of our lives and our world. If you'd like to join me, please come now to the altar. Father, we thank you that all authority in heaven and on earth and under the earth is in your hands through Christ. It is because of this truth that we can come to you in prayer and do so with a spirit of confidence and thanksgiving that you hear our prayers, that you are at work in ways we can see and in ways that we can't, that you are good. And that you are the answer to the burdens and the needs on our hearts today. Father, we pray for this world that's far too often characterized by pain and turmoil, by violence and death. We pray for all in our world who are suffering. We do think especially of these thousands and thousands of refugees people who are innocent to the wars and the uprisings and and the greed and the grasping for power. And we pray that you will bring relief to them. We pray, Father, for the people of Nepal who are still recovering from the earthquake and for the people in Myanmar who are trying to figure out how to recover from the flooding. We ask for your grace upon them. We pray for our brothers and sisters throughout the world who face persecution, opposition. And we do think especially today of the, of our, the Christians in North Korea. It's more than 70,000 Christians who are imprisoned because of their faith. We pray that you will protect them and sustain them, encourage them. And Father, in a ways that only you can, use Use their circumstances to spread the gospel in ways we couldn't have imagined. May their witness inspire our faith and our witness. Father, we pray for the work of your kingdom in our own backyard. Thank you for the ministry that takes place every week at the Allegheny County Correctional Facility. Encourage Dan and the team that works with him, and we pray that that through their ministry, hearts will be open to you in in a difficult place. Father, we pray for the needs that we represent here. People who are grieving. People who are struggling with issues of health. And we think especially today of Evelyn Heil, Alice Brown, Florence Tuber, Bunny Austin, Mike Raybuck, Jill Tyson, Bruce Brenneman. We pray for Bev Rett and Micah Christensen, for Linda Roth and Dick Gould and Crystal Blake and Emily Crickler. And for others who may be on our hearts and our minds today. Father, as we move into this Christian Life Emphasis Week, we pray your anointing upon our gatherings. We pray for your anointing upon Dr. Mal. We pray that you'd give us hearts and ears and minds and spirits that are open to you. That when these days are done, we will have a sense that we are different. That we have experienced you in a way that we haven't before. And it will be a catalyst for a year of spiritual growth and of life change. Father, thank you for hearing us as we pray. 
We offer our prayers in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. stars they wept the morning sun was dead the savior of the world was fallen his body on the cross his blood poured out for us the weight of every curse upon him stand with us. One final breath he gave, and on that black mistake, the Son of God was
tonight at 7 Wesley Chapel as we gather again to worship together. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forevermore. Amen.